TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. It is the nightcap. What's up, everybody? Joe DiBiase here on WGR going through the next hour, talking some bills, maybe a little NBA. Tonight is the NBA draft. There are lots of trade things happening in the league. Now you got some big breaking news coming across basketball that Clay Thompson, star of the Golden State Warriors, who, by the way, possessed the second overall pick in tonight's NBA draft. But you might not know. That the NBA draft is even tonight, by the way. I didn't until yesterday. Clay Thompson has suffered a right leg injury that is being evaluated uh, during a workout. So that's some big news in the world of basketball. James Harden's a trade candidate as well. Maybe we'll spend a couple of minutes towards the end of tonight's show on that. But I, I want to gear this show again. We've been talking about like what the Miami Dolphins are, how big a threat they are to the Bills in the AFC East, and... For the long term as well, because I, going back to the summer, the spring really, when they drafted Tua Tengavailoa, I thought of Miami as the Bills' biggest long-term threat. The Jets were already headed downhill with Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. The Patriots had just lost Tom Brady at the time. They didn't have even Cam Newton. Then they get Cam Newton on a one-year vet minimum contract, and you knew it wasn't going to be a long-term thing because Newton was either going to be really good and then he was going to cash in somewhere else in free agency upcoming or Newton was going to be really bad and he would basically be voted out of all starting quarterback jobs in the league, left relegated to backup duties. New England's quarterback situation for the long term since Brady left has been in question. And then here's Miami, a team that, yes, with only five wins last year, overachieved in most people's minds. A team that was expected to be one of the worst. They ended up being half-decent down the stretch, beating New England in Week 17. 
Everyone seems to like the coach. Everyone seems to like the GM. Everyone seems to like what they did defensively in the offseason. They drafted their franchise quarterback, who, outside of injury concerns, was thought of to be one of the best quarterback prospects in a long time. There wasn't much to not like about the Dolphins long term. Now, here they are at 6-3 and three, with three games upcoming on an easy, easy stretch of games. Bengals, Broncos, Jets. And it's easy to wonder what they are right now. And if they are bound for that long-term success, that to be that long-term threat to the Bills, I think they very easily have the rivalry reignite between the Bills and Dolphins. I think you get there. And this is something that came up earlier today on the station, but I don't know. As a 25-year-old Bills fan, the team I've always hated has been New England, right? Last 20 years, who do we hate the most? Put a poll up on who you hate the most. It's the Patriots. It's not a real rivalry, though. And we all know that, right? It's not a real rivalry. They have just beat down on the Bills for 20 years. And yeah, it was nice to beat them a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, it was nice to bury them down to the depths of the AFC. While we get a turn at the top. New England's the team we all hate the most. But that is, again, that's more that's more envy. That is more jealousy. That is more just being sick of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick on 14 primetime games a year, including playoffs. You know, it's a lot of that. It's not a true rivalry in the sense, as a 25-year-old Buffalo sports fan, there's not much to go on there. All I can really attest to, in my experience, where it is a back-and-forth rivalry, is the Ottawa Senators for two years, between 2005 and 2007. That's it. That is it. I've hated the Bruins, but did we ever really register to them? Did we ever? When they were running over Ryan Miller, beating us in playoff series, did, did they even care about us? Or were we, were we just a road bump? We were a speed bump on the way to their Stanley Cup. Did the Patriots ever really care about us when they're winning 20 times in a row? Do they? Even like the Carolina Hurricanes, who I will always hate forever, do they care? They beat us in the conference finals. 14 years ago, there's really been nothing since. Who's a real rival? Who hates Buffalo? Who hates the Bills? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Who hates the Bills? And there's been no team other than, again, for a two-year stretch with the Sabres, the Ottawa Senators. There's been no other team that has had a real reason to hate the Bills or the Sabres. And part of that is the Bills and Sabres have not been really good for a long stretch of time in the same period that another team has in one of their divisions. And maybe, and actually I would predict, that's what we are in store for upcoming with the Dolphins. And it's interesting that it is Miami. Because, yeah, you look back through history, when have the Bills and Patriots ever really lined up? For a long storied rivalry. When have the Bills and Jets ever really been consistent enough 
year to year to be able to have a, a big rivalry. The Dolphins, we've already had it with them. You know, we had the New England thing with them in the 80s where they were just beating down on us, right? But then the 90s and very lightly stretched into the early 2000s was a true rivalry. And right now, it's interesting, they are the team poised to challenge the Bills in the AFC East right now and in the future. The Jets are nowhere. They are at the basement of the league. They are ready to start over at the end of the year. I think it's very possible, if not likely, I might bet on it, that week one, 2021, the Jets have a different general manager. No, not a different general manager. Sorry, Joe Douglas. Forgot. He's They already replaced Mike McCagnon, Joe Douglas, big contract. So actually, they'll have the GM, but they'll have a different coach and a different quarterback. New England will have a different quarterback. The Dolphins will come back with the same unit. Unless something crazy happens where Tua is just pitiful the rest of the way. Houston ends up with a top five pick and Miami gets in line to draft one of those top three quarterbacks. Barring an insane circumstance like that, Miami's coming back at you next year, the year after, and the year after that with the same pillars of their organization with Tua Tagovailoa at quarterback if he keeps going. You heard Armando Salguero today, Radio.com Sports. I'm a show with the Bulldog. He he labeled Tua right now as a game manager. That's how they've been playing him through his first three games. But first three games is not a lot. You know, a game manager not turning the football over in your first couple of starts, I think almost anybody would take that for their rookie quarterback. You just don't want to see signs that they're a bust. You, of course, want to see signs that they are something more. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow had give, gave you that. You got that from Patrick Mahomes. But if we judged Josh Allen just based on his first three starts, what would we think? 245 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions against the Chargers in 2018. Eh, 18 for 33, 55% completion percentage. That's kind of what you would have thought of Josh Allen, wouldn't it have been? Big plays down the field, turnovers, inaccuracies. He kind of was, in his first start, what draft pundits thought he would be. Big plays, turnovers, inconsistent incompletions. A lot of them. Then, his second start is the Minnesota game. And that is maybe where they would deviate, Tua versus Allen a little bit. Not because of how great Allen was as a passer in that game. He was fine. He was good. Kind of game manager-like. 15 for 22, 196 yards, and a touchdown. The touchdown, if you remember, at Jason Kroom. I mean, half the field. Wide open. But that was two rushing touchdowns and Allen jumping over Anthony Barr. That was the moment. I think that was the moment when he jumps over Anthony Barr where every Bills fan looked at themselves and thought, okay, this guy, this guy's got something. He's got something special. You don't you don't watch a lot of NFL games and you see the quarterback jumping over all pro, pro bowl linebackers, which he did. 
So there it was. All right, this guy's got some star potential, right? Then Green Bay, the Bills are shut out. 151 yards for Allen, no touchdowns, two picks. All right, so that's your first three games. Thoughts? What would your thoughts have been on Josh Allen? If you could think back, if you can remember it. It was, yeah, he's been inconsistent, but we've seen some highlight reel plays, and you got four picks, a couple of fumbles. We need to limit the turnovers. He had four fumbles, by the way, in his first three starts. Not good. That's where we were at. Some promising signs. Nothing like a sure thing. Nowhere near. I would have never thought he'd get this far. I thought he would make steps. I thought he would make strides. But to be leading the league in passing yards. I mean, very few Bills fans really thought that was going to happen. Realistically thought that was going to happen. But here we are. Now, let's go back to Tua. Again, kind of game managery. Like, I look at these numbers, and then what do I think? I think Alex Smith is the first thing I think of. He's got that first start against the Rams. They win big. A lot of return stuff happening there. Turnovers. They win 28-17. to He only attempts 22 passes. 12-22 for 93 yards and a touchdown. Only took one sack. Fumbled the ball once. That's his only turnover to date. Then he plays the Cardinals, a good win against a good team where he was asked to throw the football, 20 for 28, 248 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. Then last week against the Chargers, 15 of 25, 169 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. So what what should that tell you about Tua? Maybe he is different than Josh Allen and that he does not have that same home run potential that Allen does. And I have thought that, no doubt, watching his first three starts. When I watched him at Alabama, I thought he could be one of the best quarterbacks in football. But the reason I liked Tua was he had a very high floor to me. He is so persistent. He is so accurate. He is so good at the middle-tier routes. And he's got the arm strength, not crazy levels like Allen does or some of the other guys at the top of the league in terms of throwing the ball down the field. But smart player, got some athleticism, like just kind of good at everything. And isn't that's what we've gotten so far. My comparable for him coming into his career was Drew Brees. Not haven't seen Drew Brees yet. Haven't seen I haven't seen superstar prime Drew Brees yet. I've seen maybe End of career Drew Brees, taking care of the football, getting it to your playmakers, doing enough to win. You know, that's kind of what Tua has done right now. And if he continues along this path, at the very least, Miami will be something. They they will grow into a rivalry with the Bills. It's a budding rivalry that we have right now. And that's all Tua's got to do, I think, to make it a rivalry. I think Tua needs to be pretty good. Just pretty good. Hell, he could be as good as the last guy. He could be as good as Ryan Tannehill was with the with the Dolphins. But with the coach, with the personnel, which the front with the front office, and with New England out of the way, not handing them two automatic losses a season, I think the Dolphins have a rivalry with the Bills. That would be the fun one. That would be the best case scenario to me standing here today. Tua's good. 
but he doesn't instill a ton of fear into you. The Dolphins are a good team. They make the playoffs maybe every other year or more years than not. But are they ever really a Super Bowl contender? Are they ever really thought of as kingpins of the division? If we get to a point where I, what I would like to see happen, and what I would hope happens, and what I think is well within the range of outcomes, is the Bills, who have a quarterback who's playing like one of the best in football right now, we already have, you would hope, answers on if the head coach is for real, if the front office and Brandon Bean are for real, if some of the personnel on this team, like Stephon Diggs and Tredavious White and Deion Dawkins and Jordan Poyer, those guys are for real. With Allen playing at the level he's playing, the Bills should be playing something like this to this level of football, where they're 7-3, and three, really should be 8-2 and two against a tough schedule. Thought of as one of the contenders in the conference right behind the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what I would project for the Bills. They'll fall just below the Chiefs year to year as an AFC contender. The Dolphins, wider range of what could happen. What I would hope happens is they settle in to being, you know, like the Bills-Dolphins relationship, you would hope, gets to a point where it was like the Bengals-Steelers relationship. That was a rivalry for a time. I think it was probably more so a rivalry on Cincinnati's side of things. But Andy Dalton shows up. A.J. Green shows up. Even go before that a little bit with Carson Palmer and Chad Johnson. You've always had the Bengals for the last 20 years being pretty darn good. Always right there in the playoff hunt. There have been some bad years too, don't get me wrong. But for a stretch there, the Bengals were good. Like They were thought of as like, hey, they're in the division conversation. I don't remember them ever winning it. They certainly, I know, didn't ever win a playoff game, the Marvin Lewis Bengals. But when they were going to play the Steelers... That was a game you wanted to watch, but you also kind of thought that the Steelers were going to win it. That's what my hope would be for what Bills-Dolphins becomes. The Bills consistently being better, always thought of more highly, being just one step above what Miami is, but also having the Dolphins register enough to where... It always feels like an important game. You want them to think they're just good enough to beat you and then just bury them. That's what I would hope is in line for this rivalry right now. Then, there is also the possibility that Tua just smashes as a player. And that he continues to grow from start number three and on and on and on. And he becomes one of the most consistent quarterbacks in football. He stays healthy. He uses his athleticism. The Dolphins surround him with a few more weapons. He continues to have the continuity and in the coaching ranks like Josh Allen has had here in Buffalo. And Tua's just a star. And then you've got Marino Kelly. Then you have what you had in the 90s. And suddenly, if you have two star quarterbacks... Now it becomes an arms race between the Bills and the Dolphins to build the rest of the roster. And oh, who's, be- who's got the better defense this season? Who's got the better group of wide receivers? Who's got the better offensive line? Becomes an arms race in those other areas. If both quarterbacks continue, or if Allen continues and then Tua starts to play up to the level that Allen has played this year. 
Those are, to me, the two most likely scenarios. I don't really think Tua has a big bust potential. I don't think he does. He could get injured. That would be that would be the possibility, is that he just can't stay healthy. But, you know, you can't, it's hard to put that on a guy. Three starts in. He's been fine. We'll see. A lot of quarterbacks have come into the league with injury questions and had no problems. Frank Gore. We'll always use the Frank Gore example for this. Frank Gore came into the league and everybody thought he'll knee, his knees will never hold up. Big knee injuries, major knee injuries in college. He won't last. And the guy's had a longer career at the running back position than anybody I've ever seen. So, we'll see what happens injury-wise. But that's where I'm at with Bill's Dolphins as a rivalry. 803-0550 is the phone number. I want to know what you think about this rivalry right now and what is, how do you see it going? between the Bills and the Dolphins in the next, you know, two months and the next five to ten years with Josh Allen and potentially Tua Tagovailoa. I got to pull up at Sneaky Joe WGR on Twitter. This is a question I was very interested in because, and I'll talk more about this in the next segment, I have hated the Jets more in my life than the Dolphins. I don't really have a great reason why, though. I'll try to explain it, but I've always hated the Jets more than the Dolphins. So I... Th- Threw that question out on Twitter. Because if I put the Patriots in there, they would run away with it right now. But who do you hate more? The Jets or the Dolphins? So far, smack dab in the middle. 52%, 52.8% say Miami. 47.2% say the Jets. So go vote on that at Sneaky Joe WGR. Let me know what you think. Bill's rivalries. 803-0550 is the phone number. It's the nightcap with Joe DiBiase. This is WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. A few minutes away from throwing you a little interview of the day. Greg Cosell, always good. Always try to play that back for you once a week. NFL Films, he joins One Bills Live on Wednesdays. Little poll action on Twitter. Who do you hate more, the Jets or the Dolphins? The Patriots are the easy answer. Throw them out. Jets or Dolphins? I guess I shouldn't say Patriots are the easy answer. If you grew up or obviously watched those 90s years, Bills and Dolphins, very easily I think you could say Miami. But as someone like me and who represents an entire generation that did not really know Miami as a threat, the, the Bills the Bills have not played the Dolphins when both teams had a winning record since 2003. That should tell you a lot about the rivalry's current state or what it's been. Two teams that have not met when both have had a winning record since 2003. I was eight years old when that happened. So it's been a rough 17 years, 20 years for both teams. So there's residual 90s hate. There is some 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 newborn hate with the Dolphins. And then there's the Jets. And why do we hate the Jets? Why do we hate the Jets? Like, on social media earlier at, at WGR550, our station account goes, the, wor- the, the worst franchise in the NFL is blank. And there's Nate. There's Nate, our, our own Nate Geary right there with the Jets, easily. And I think a lot of that is born out of we hate the Jets. But why do we hate the Jets? 
Because the Jets are not good. The Jets, other than two years a decade ago, have not been good in a long time. They're downright awful. They're not even their city's favorite team. The Giants are. So, why do we not like the Jets? To me, it is a combination of arrogance that I always seem to to feel coming from Jets fans. I don't know if that's Fireman Ed. I don't know if it's their former players who go on TV and talk about uh, their team like it's like the glory days, like they were some dynasty. Maybe it's Rex Ryan who did not really leave, you know, favorable taste with us. He's on ESPN now, being obnoxious, still in the public eye. We didn't like him when he was on the Jets. Mark Sanchez, kind of that California pretty boy kind of, you know, reputation. And he wasn't that good at all anyway. Like, what was it with the Jets? I think it was all of that. And then also, I think I always had a feeling with the Dolphins. That their fans just didn't care. That they'd rather be hanging out at the ocean. And when you have that, and there's some of that, I probably am over-exaggerating what, you know, how much of that there really is. But when you have a little of that in the back of your mind, when they don't care, it makes you not care as much about them. When they have half their stadium empty in some games. Like the Bills win at Miami in 2017. And then they make the playoffs later that evening on a Andy Dalton and Tyler Boyd touchdown. That Dolphins game where David Fales is playing quarterback, Jay Cutler's final NFL start, there's like nobody in that building. It's empty. And when that's empty and it seems like they don't care, why should I care about you? Whereas the Jets, they're there and they're obnoxious. And they want to tell you how good their team is even when they suck. That's the Jets. And I think that's why I dislike them more than I like the Dolphins. But that can be easily changed if Miami gets really good while the Bills are really good. Easily changed. All right, let's get a little Greg Cosell in for you. NFL Films on with one Bills live earlier today, breaking some down, breaking some film down on Bills Cardinals, little on the Dolphins as well. Some interesting comments of Tremaine Edmonds and Ed Oliver in here as well. So listen for that. Here's Greg Cosell with Chris Brown and Steve Tasker earlier today. I do yeah. want to get your thoughts on that final drive by Josh and the offense um, where Cole Beasley pretty much put the team on his back uh, after John Brown had gone out with an ankle injury. Obviously, Diggs made the big catch at the end, but just the the exploits of, of one Cole Beasley specifically, Greg, just from what you see on film from him and the freedom to improvise on his routes. Yeah, well, he's, he's one of those guys that's just so good working out of the slot. Um, I don't know. You guys may know more. It's always tough to tell watching tape what kind of freedom you have on, on routes that are quote-unquote option or choice routes. Steve, you may know that better than I, but he is so good at working against the leverage of those slot corners and then either breaking outside or breaking inside. Uh, My guess is he does have freedom, and obviously that takes time with the quarterback to to understand how that's going to work because you have to read the same thing. But he is so good at that. He had one, I can't remember which one it was, where he literally stopped on a dime and broke outside. And, And that's his game. I mean, obviously the touchdown... 
I believe that was man coverage, and I believe Peterson was on him, and Peterson kind of passed him on, thinking maybe someone was going to cut his route, but no one did. So that theoretically was a bust. But but Beasley is a fun guy to watch. He just has such a great feel and such a great understanding of the leverage of the defenders. Now, before we get to the final drive, I want to hear your thoughts on how effective they were and Beasley and Steph Diggs coming through in a big way. The one thing I want to ask, I know you don't look at the games in the terms I'm about to put them, but the Bills have been accused by their fans, and, and it's it's borne out in the statistics, of coming out after halftime and stinking the place up on <laughs> offense. They can they cannot – their halftime adjustments, either plus or minus or whatever, they can't move it. Uh, they, now, they did score a third-quarter touchdown with about nine minutes to go in, in the third quarter this week but they have really taken a bath in the point differential in the third quarter. Do you have any thoughts on that as to why yeah. that is? Do you notice anything? I mean, I don't necessarily look at games like that, so it's hard right. for me to, to really have an answer for that. Um, you know, so it's, it's yeah, I really don't, Steve. I wish I did. Um, obviously, it's something you want to work on because that first drive of the third quarter is viewed by pretty much every coach as really important, particularly if you're getting the ball first. Um, right. But I don't have any tactical reason as to why that's the case. All right, let's talk about that final drive. The Bills came through. They needed it. I mean, they, they, uh, they, what a great drive it was. I mean, they, they converted on a bunch of third downs. Cole Beasley was enormous in, this, in that drive. And, of course, Steph Diggs, that last throw by Josh to Steph Diggs from the time. angle we were watching, that, that was a big-time throw. Big-time throw. I mean, it was kind of – it was almost like a combination, almost like seven – you know, sale corner route. I mean, right. I wasn't exactly sure how they would call that route, but I mean, he beat Peterson. I mean, Allen made an excellent throw because one thing I look at on throws like that is when the quarterback starts his delivery, because you don't have a lot of time. You can't wait to see what Diggs is going to do there. Otherwise, you're going to throw it to him four yards out of bounds. So he starts his delivery, and you know this, Steve. He starts his delivery before he even breaks. And and obviously, if you're throwing it to the sideline you're not worried about the interception but that was just a big time throw and a really good catch um you know to me on a play like that taking nothing away from Steph Diggs so I did a piece on in the matchup show last week and I think is a great great receiver I think that play is made more by the throw I don't think there's a lot of room for a throw like that and you've got to put it right there yeah and uh Brian Dable the offensive coordinator actually said that was a play that they had only put in on Thursday Leading up to that game, they ran it to the other side of the field, and they ran it against a different coverage than he said that they got in practice. Um, but he said it worked for them well on Thursday, so they decided to put it in. And lo and behold, it becomes the the pass that many thought won the well, <laughs> won the game for him. Well, it's funny you say that because that coverage I, I'm almost positive was cover one, which is man coverage with a single high safety. If I remember the play, and I'm not looking at it right now, obviously as we're speaking. But it would strike me that when he said he, they put it in for a different coverage, I think that was a play you'd probably put in for zone because I think it had a smash concept to it, Steve, if I, if I right. think correctly. They were they had the route the underneath it. So yeah. they probably put it in more as a zone concept, uh, which is why when I saw it, I was trying to exactly figure out what the route was because my, that, that would be my guess. It was put in to attack zone. Yeah, Diggs was a, the inside of a cluster formation tied yeah. to the line. and, and yeah. And the, I, it, it's kind of irrelevant what those other outside guys did because if it was cover zero, everything changes anyway. But you're right, right that uh, Diggs was probably not the guy they thought was going to get that ball. No, because it was a it was a one by three set, meaning that there were right. three wide receivers 
uh, to the field, and the tight end was a nub tight end, a line of scrimmage tight end on the other side. So you're right. Diggs was the inside slot to trips. We saw, Greg, that um, Coach McDermott recognized it as a bye week priority to address. He feels they need more consistent production in the run game. I think he's. Yes. I think he fully believes that you know the identity of this offense is Josh in the passing game, but uh, it's clear that he wants a little more balance to their offense, and he feels that they do not have it right now going into the bye. They've been a more successful team running to the left than to the right. Uh, their line's been yes. in flux from guard to guard all season long. What, what would you say they're trying to uncover there to give them answers to be more productive? Well, I'd answer this question two ways. I'll start with the idea as to and why I think they need to run more. I think Josh Allen is, is really improving. I think he has a chance to be special. But if you look at the last two weeks, one was a victory, one was a loss. He's been under a lot of duress. I mean, he was consistently mm. under duress versus the cards. Their multiple pressure schemes had an impact, I thought, on the overall efficiency of Allen in the pass game. And we saw the week before, I believe, wasn't he sacked seven times? Yeah, and and I know on the season, Greg, they've been blitzed the third mo the, at the third highest yeah. rate all season long. So it's not just that you want to run, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But you, it, it's very difficult, no matter how special your quarterback is, and and we know that Josh can be just really special, making plays outside of structure, improvising, beating pressure, getting away from the pass rush. He can do all those things. But it's a tremendous burden on both your offensive line and just your offense as a whole to have your quarterback drop back 40, 45, 50 times on a weekly basis. It's too hard in this league to do that and be consistent. So now the run game. I, I guess in a bye week, what you have to decide, and, and this is the way I would view it. I'm not a coach, but I think you have to decide, number one, your offensive line, how you feel they best block. Are they best in the zone run game? Are they best in the gap scheme run game? What do you want your foundation to be? Not every run is the same run, no matter what you think you're best at, but you'd like to have a foundation that you feel, hey, we can line up and we feel good that let's say it's going to be the zone run game, Chris, to the left. If that's our foundation, we want to feel that, hey, when we line up and call that, we can get four or five yards, you know, and, and, and maybe once in a while you get eight or nine and once in a while you get 20. So you have to decide based on your personnel and your scheme what's best and then start there and then work off that. But I really believe, as they do from what you just said, that they need more volume in the run game and more productivity in the run game. Can you give us a, a rundown starting with, and I don't know if you can, you know the names off the top of your head, Deion Dawkins, uh, Cody Ford, Mitch Morris, Brian Winters, Daryl Williams, all these guys, Ty Nasecki, Brian Bates, right. Ike Butker. Give us a rundown on what where you see these guys falling into the talent level of where they should be. Who, where, because they've been yeah. shuffled so many times. That's it's an hard issue for too. us. All right, hold that thought, Greg. We're going to hear from him on that offensive line question when we come back. Last call in the nightcap after this. Joe DiBiase, this is WGR. All right, last call on the nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. If you want to hear more from Greg Cosell and his visit with One Bills Live earlier today, be sure to check that out on demand at WGR550.com and the radio.com app. NBA Draft starts in about five minutes. 
There is bigger news in the NBA, though. One, you've had James Harden drama this week of the Houston Rockets turning down a two-year, $106 million extension, being asked, by the way, to be traded to the Brooklyn Nets to play with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. You have got Clay Thompson now sustaining a leg injury that Woj is reporting, sources are telling him, not good. Klay Thompson coming off an ACL, torn ACL from last year, actually sustained in the NBA Finals uh, over a year ago against the Toronto Raptors. So draft is tonight. Maybe we see some big trades. Hopefully Klay Thompson's not seriously injured. LaMelo Ball supposed to go first overall, but we'll see. Warriors, by the way, have the second overall pick. So if you're looking for some sports tonight, there is some action, of course, on going on too. But you've got NBA draft action. Um, and then tomorrow, Thursday Night Football. I'll be on at 7 o'clock before... We get you rolling for the Cardinals and the Seahawks. A good one. Until then, thanks everyone for listening. This has been the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase on WGR. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on and podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.